Don't. Feel. You guys are breathing your COVID. Feel the shock. Breathing the COVID all Bre- over. Yeah. Breathe in the COVID. Don't breathe the COVID over me. Right, here we go. We're supposed to not breathe anything. Three, two, one. Here we go from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Post Christian Pastors, the podcast hosted by three pastors that dives into faith, relationships, pop culture, ministry, current issues, and a whole lot more. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Post Christian pastors. We're a bunch of pastors who used to be Christians. No, No. we're just kidding. (laughs) Just a joke. Hey, this is Pastor Mark Helsel. Thanks for being with us once again. We are back here in COVID land, back with you, COVID Corona land. And uh, I'm Mark Helsel along with, to my right, John Price. Hello, John. Hello. How are you? I have a question. Yeah. So we're a bunch of pastors. Do three make a bunch or do you have three to have more can, than... I think three could be a bunch. Is three a bunch? It's a few actually, I think. Yeah. Technically yeah. it's a few. A, a couples few. two, yeah. three is a few. Three is a few. And to my left, <laughs> I would be Pastor Mike Arnold. No, that's no. not true. It's the Michael, Michael P. Arnold. Arnold. Please. <laughs> Reverend. The right. The right Reverend. Reverend, the two right Reverend. Well, welcome guys. How you doing? On this snowy first day of snow here in yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's beautiful. It's good snow. Yeah. It is a good snow for December 1st. Yes. Reminding yep. us that winter sucks. <laughs> so here we no, go. This is the only time of winter that I want snow. Me too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I like, a winter I like snow for about a month and a half, and then I want it to be done. It's about January 10th where yep. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> you want yeah, the white Christmas. Right. You want the white Christmas. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's something just peaceful and... We Beautiful haven't had a white Christmas for a while. No, we've wow. not. Yeah. Oh, it's actually kind of nice. It covers up yeah. all the gray, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. There's a lot of gray going around, but most of that's yeah. in my head. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, well, we are uh, we are three pastors who uh, we get together. We talk about issues. We have some guests on, but we try to come at issues from a Christian perspective and try to help you and us live a life uh, where we are following after Jesus and following Jesus in a post-Christian society in many ways. And so that's what you have on your ears right now. That's what's coming at you. And uh, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. We got a great guest today. Um, his name is Mark Matlock. And uh, I loved his television show. <laughs> yeah, that was a great Matlock. Yeah, that was a great yes, TV show. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved how like right, you know, everything kind of came together. And like, the, I think my grandparents end. watched Matlock. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no. I did in puberty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I had a conversation today with somebody about the Lawrence Welk show. Do you remember the oh, Lawrence Welk show? I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm old. Okay. But I remember my grandparents used to watch yep. that on Sunday night. I think it was on Sunday night. Was it Sunday night? Right or before like ABC movie theater. Was Sunday or night or Saturday night? Could have been. I spent Probably a lot right of time with my grandmother's. Okay. Right after Because my parents didn't like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Hee Haw, Lawrence Welk, Hee Haw, like, oh. yeah, all those, yeah, all those variety shows. Well, there were three channels to pick from. <laughs> <laughs> Your choice was hee haw in black and white <laughs> or Matlock. <laughs> good old Matlock. Murder, uh, she wrote. Yeah. yeah remember that me. show? She, that lady always figured it out. Yeah. Someone would whack her in a second, yeah, like knock her scary. off. She was like 65 year old lady. Yeah. Solving crimes. Tough. Somebody yep. would take her out. Yeah. <laughs> you would think. Well, anyway, I don't Thanks for that tangent. All right. Uh, Mark Matlock. Uh, 
he's a lot of things. We'll introduce him when we get closer. Yeah. But he wrote a book uh, called Faith for Exiles, which in some circles became the book of the year for different different places, mm. named it as hmm. book of the year. Um, so we're talking about exiles today. We'll get into what that really means, but I got a question for you. Okay. Uh-huh. So speaking of exiles, okay. If you, let's have a little fun. If you were exiled from being uh, in a pastor, like that job completely disappeared. You you could not be a pastor or maybe you. Mean, you mean like it might in just a few months? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we keep going this way, if we keep going this yeah. way, we might not have any place to be a pastor. Uh, so if you were exiled from being a pastor, what one other job would you do? Okay. What one other job Yes. Would you do? Let's start with uh, Mike. Mike, what what other? I was job? actually fantasizing about this the other day. <laughs> I was driving, running an errand. <laughs> we, we're still on the same topic, I, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, no, d- absolutely. Sure. I'm like, what would I do if I was not? You know, it was probably a gray day, rainy day, and I decided that I would be a, a flight attendant, a male flight Ooh, attendant. Yes. Male flight attendant. <laughs> You're yes. not going to have a sex change to be a flight attendant. No, okay, or a steward. Yeah. You call them stewards. Stewards. Um, stewards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay, stewardesses. Why? Why? Um, why would you want to be this? Well, I just think you new cities. Uh, the outfits are colorful and exciting. Um, you get to meet <laughs> okay. people. Yeah. Um, walk up and down that aisle. You're you're in charge too. I mean, yeah, and you have the federal government behind you. You do. I mean, you tell people, you know, first, hey, dude, you quit to, eating your peanuts. It's a federal offense yeah, if you don't stop lift running. that seat up. That recline <laughs> is. We're landing. We're we're in our approach. No more. No, no I want to be reclining when we crash. Yep. It ain't gonna matter. I like that power. <laughs> um, and you know, like I like telling moms you have to secure your own mask first before your children. And you know that ain't happening. You know that's not. My wife and I argue about that all the time. I keep saying, <laughs> I have to do it for myself first. Otherwise, you know, how do I have the strength to save the rest of it? There you go. And, uh, keep I, trying to run that one. <laughs> see how good that goes. It doesn't work. But yeah, I was thinking I was thinking flight attendant, and I even thought, you know, like, where would be my hub city? You know, where would I go out? Well, you really spent some time. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I was up in the air. I actually made... I had a wrong turn because I was thinking about this yeah, so deeply. I actually was like, where am I going? <laughs> At one point, uh, it was, oh, we So attendant. nobody was safe on the road because Mike's head was in the, yep. in the sky. Yeah. Based out of Miami, Florida would be where <laughs> I'd be. Based out of Miami. <laughs> <laughs> one of my former students is in the new HBO Max TV show about, about flight attendants. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a male flight attendant in the show. In the That's show. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I just saw an article about it. I'm sure I saw it on his Facebook. I'm sure it's too. very appropriate for family viewing. Probably not. <laughs> Sounds. <laughs> but either would Mike be as a flight attendant? No, I'd that be great. Probably not be done. good for family viewing. You know, I think Southwest. You are not patient enough to be a flight attendant. John <laughs> could do it. I would be a but more of a you, Southwest variety yeah, yeah. <laughs> than the you know American or United. I think you attendant. should be more like a flag guy, like. Like flagging the airplanes, <laughs> like coming. It's cold out there. It's cold. I don't want to be. You're out more there. of a luggage guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be real. Put him where he doesn't have to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> Crossroads Church, eighty-five thirty-three <laughs> Peters Road. <laughs> All right. All right. It's Mike. So Mike, flight attendant. Flight yep, attendant. That's what I'm doing. John, what about you? Uh, there's a lot of things I would like to be, but one of the things I've uh, thought about and not quite to the extent that Mike has about dreaming about well, Mike uh, already turned in his application yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but uh, you know I have always thought that it'd be kind of cool to be a, uh, a charter bus driver like to 
drive those big charter buses. So you for know. teams and stuff. For teams, for sightseeing purposes. Like the old oh, people, they now go to sightseeing if they gave you a mic. Yeah. Well, I also I also love like <laughs> that would be good. I also love giving people tours of the cities that I'm. Yeah, in like driving like a tour yeah. bus, like a ducky like, tour yeah. guy. Yeah, Give me a ducky duck tour, tour. tour. Yeah, like yeah. I, I mean, I, I do enjoy anymore. like. I do enjoy like taking people around to new cities that I'm in, like the, you know, that they're visiting and stuff like that. You would, yeah. you would do good at that. So uh, yeah, I so I, I I enjoy that kind of stuff, and it, you meet people, you get to see lots of different places. Absolutely. Well, you could be a great so. like a tram operator at Disney World too. Like, <laughs> <Yeah. you know. laughs> that might be a little like, that might be a little boring. Yeah, kind I of, just, uh, wonder, just like, the loop. <laughs> I wonder how old it gets when you're like a million times. Oh, people, look out for the shark on your left. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Where'd he go? <laughs> you ever ride that ride? Yeah. You ever ride yes. the Jaws ride? Yeah. yeah. Yes. But I mean, after like the 7,000th time right. you've said it. Right. Even though they do get to shoot like that fake shotgun and right. uh, maybe your job just never gets old. Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Who knows? But who knows no, what I think, we'll be doing in three months. Like I think that would be. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that'd be kind of cool. You know, you get to like. You know, Actually, Mike, if you were on that ride, the Jaws ride, as the <laughs> guy, Mike could be the steward out the nuts. on it. <laughs> He'd hand out the, the nuts. nuts. <laughs> and deal with the nuts. Mike could be the one. Deal who, with the people that Mike were Mike could be the nuts. one saying, please keep your hands and feet inside so, the vehicle. I just wonder if anybody's ever freaked out on that ride. Like, literally, like, lost their mind. Like, thought it was real. Started, like, jumping to fight mm. the shark. I don't know. There, you Never know, some... You know some wacky stuff has happened. Yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. People yeah. got stories. Yeah. People got stories. Well, that sounds good. Anything else about that, John? Any any other? Um, you could do that for a long time, too. Yeah. You could do that till you're like 78. Yeah. I could That's see you taking groups to Amish country. <laughs> <laughs> we went from Jaws to Amish country. I'm quite sure how that happened. But... <laughs> Elderly tour groups. Oh. I could be. I could be one of those bus drivers. I, I know this. Yeah, you know, this might be kind of outside of everybody's who's listening. But those Surf City bus drivers who would like mm-hmm. take the groups of kids up to Michigan and yeah. like. And I don't know about. I don't know what the bus Hold. drivers that left from Pittsburgh would do. Yeah. But I would when I was in D.C. I'd take kids up to Surf City and we'd rent. We'd rent a, a charter bus for the for the to take yeah. us up and bring us back. Yeah. And the the guy who volunteered or who volunteered, who was doing our charter bus, literally would drive up, drop us off, and then he'd get a week's paid vacation on Lake Michigan. Sounds good. He'd stay at a little motel down the road. Yeah, I think this is a good idea. He'd go, f- he'd, he'd, go f- he'd go fishing every day. Like, he, he had literally coolers full of fish to, like, <laughs> You guys would be going to- by him. He'd be on the beach like, <laughs> yeah. hey, kids. <laughs> Thanks a I lot. Was, see you doing I that was pretty. Job. I was. I mean, I always thought that'd be pretty cool to. That's a to cool do, job. Yeah. Or if you did the Amish country, if you've ever been to the Shady Maple buffet. Oh yeah, Shady Maple. Oh my gosh, that yeah. is like the Super Bowl of buffets. Yeah. You know the buffet there is a football field long. I've never been there. Yep. Yep. Shady Maple buffet. Mm-hmm. Literally, when you pull up to it, there are tour buses. Yeah. Pulling up to the Shady Maple. Yeah. I mean, they. I don't. I don't know this for sure, but I think you can get a cot. You can just. Sleep right Sounds there. Like a place the where there would be a lot of COVID. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I wonder how the shady maple's doing right now. Ugh. I have to check that out. Yeah. See if it's even open. That is a buffet of COVID. We could do our next episode live from, live the, shady from the shady <laughs> maple. <laughs> we'll all have COVID, yeah. but other than that, <laughs> and belly. So, sleep. Mark, yeah. Yes, what's what uh, what's your uh, job in exile? Uh, well, you know, instead of kicking for the Vanderbilt football team. <laughs> Which no, I'm just kidding. I'm a <laughs> soccer player. Man. I could do that. Mm. So I could do it. Yeah, do you uh, still have eligibility you, left? 
Yeah, no, Probably not. I think no. they'd come after me. I'd love that to one. see the competition. <laughs> but I would make the news, like 51-year-old dude playing college football. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean yeah. that, might, that might work. We're I searching could. for stories right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're apparently <laughs> feel-good feel stories. To, we're trying to make some stories. Feel-good stories. Yeah, feel-good stories. That'd be <laughs> good. 51-year-old completely rips his hamstring off his body. <laughs> and it's, I would be the only person that could rip my hamstring and tor- tear my Achilles and my ACL and MCL all Roll, at the same Rolling exact. around on yeah, the field. Yeah, but it would be feel good. It would be feel good story for everybody else. Uh, okay, so serious. We're just joking around there. Um, serious is I think I would be... I think I would drive for UPS. I've actually fantasized about that. I actually got about two sentences into the job application before <laughs> online. <laughs> I could see you in the shorts. Just like the, that, that was that was the deal breaker. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was going to say it was having to wear boots with shorts was a deal breaker. Yes, because the like, you, shorts because you Because you, you love wearing flip-flops almost mm-hmm. all the time. So that's I can't from, imagine That's you. from living in Florida, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine walking in and, uh, with my brown shorts and flip-flops on <laughs> into a uh, UPMC to drop off a package. <laughs> Just dragging my COVID in. Uh, so, uh, no, UPS, like I could, you know, besides the outfit, you know, I have to work on that. Um, maybe we could... Get some. Maybe you should go with FedEx. They have a little, yeah. little you know. Maybe I could just say that. Look, maybe I could just say, like, I'm just not comfortable wearing this. Brown I'm just outfit. not comfortable. <laughs> I'm just not comfortable doing this. Brown, brown's not my color. Brown's not my color. <laughs> and I'm not comfortable with this. I'm already really washed out. So I'm yeah. not a millennial. I can't get away <laughs> with this. <laughs> oh, so no. I'd just be like, hey, I'm just not comfortable with this. And uh, so maybe I get outfit change. But um, no, like think about it. You get to play Santa Claus all day long. Like people, people are excited to see you. Like you're yep. bringing their package to them that they went. Do you remember when we were kids? Like you never knew when UPS was showing up. You could order something and it'd be like five weeks later. Now you're tracking that. Yeah. yeah. Now you're tracking it. It tells you now like it's seven stops away. And you're yep. like. Before it was like seven weeks away when you were a kid. All right. So, so like, yeah, like people are happy to see you. They're excited to see you. You don't have to go in their house. You don't even have to use, you don't even have to knock on their door. They'll get an email update. All you got to do is take a picture of their package on the, on the thing. You get to take pictures all day. You get to, you know, you do get to walk into some businesses, say hello to people, but you don't have to become friends with them. And then you just leave <laughs> and walk out and just say, hey, nice to see you. And you get drive around all day, eat wherever you want. You know, you can stop and eat wherever you want. And you can like in our church parking lot. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a lot of and you can lot, listen. You lot can, delivery guys use yeah. our parking and you, lot. You can listen to podcasts like this one all day long. Mm-hmm. So you could just chill. Sounds like a fulfilling life. It does. And they make good money. So. UPS it is. There he is. And now I'm on line three of the application. I'll just keep going. I got to pull up on my, on my computer right here, halfway there. It's interesting that we're all three of us have transportation of some sort. Yeah. Like, we want to get the heck away <laughs> We've got to move. We've been locked up in the house for way too long. All right. So that's a lot of fun. We're going to come back here in a moment. With Mark Matlock, really excited to talk to him about being uh, an exile living in digital Babylon. Mm-hmm. This sounds interesting. I think you're going to like it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Post Christian Pastors. See you later. All right, welcome back here on 
post-Christian pastors. Hey guys, we got a great guest coming in. Really excited about yes. about this guy uh, coming to us. Uh, his name is Mark Matlock. Um, not the show, Matlock, but I love that show. Mark Matlock. Uh, yeah, you, I know you love the show, as you just mentioned earlier before we, before we, the break. He says, uh, "Let me give you a little bit about Mark. Mark's a regular presenter and workshop facilitator for Barna. Uh, Mark facilitates training and on-site applications of research findings for Barna clients." He's the founder of Wisdom Works. That's where I first heard the name of uh, Mark Matlock, hmm. former executive director of Youth Specialties. I got to do some things with Mark uh, there, and uh, he also has some awesome history with Mercy Me. Maybe we can ask him about that. But he also has some awesome past with um, Mercy Me. Uh, Mark's the author of more than twenty books for teens and parents, and really, what we're going to talk about today his two thousand and nineteen book, which is really one of my favorite books. Um, that I've read recently is the faith for exiles five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon with Barna group president, David Kinneman. He's an ordained minister, certified life planner. I mean, you can get your life straightened out, John, uh, Mark can help Mark you. and I need to um, have a conversation. Yeah. Now here's we a, all need plans from <laughs> yeah, our earlier yeah. conversation. Here is, here is a really cool thing. He has a Lego serious play facilitator. Not quite sure what that is. We'll ask him right away. Lord Business. And he's a <laughs> Lord Business. He is Lord Business. An MCOR trainer and coach. He's been married for 27 years to his wife, Jade. And they have two adult children. And and most importantly, he has a forever Halloween costume playing Negan from The Walking Dead. If you've ever seen Negan, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mark is a somewhat spitting image of Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And uh, I think you... I think he's dressed up as Negan. Mark, is that correct? Yes, for <laughs> Halloween. Yes, with the baseball bat with the uh, barbed wire on it, huh? Yeah, it was hard to find a wood baseball bat. They don't, you know, in this post-Christian world, it's hard to find a wooden baseball bat. Authentic materials. Well, welcome, Mark. Thank you for being here. It is so good to be with you, Mark. It's been a long time. We haven't connected in a while. We haven't got to hang out in a while. Where has the time gone? I know. It's crazy. Well, COVID time, it feels like 50 years yeah. ago. Um, it does. does like, Mark, like what we used to say in dog years. It's like in COVID years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark is coming at us today from Dallas, Texas, all the way down. How about them cowboys? Um, all the way down there in Dallas. And uh, Mark, uh, we really want to talk to you today. We We've been doing this series of um, podcasts called Lost in America. We're just looking at things going on in America and, and issues and just just different parts of our culture. And you before know, we get into this, though, yeah. I have to know about the Lego facilitating. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we can't. We, I mean, I don't. Yeah, we I mean, can't. <laughs> we cannot know about the Lego serious play facilitator. Yes, that has Fill to be in. first. Because that's the, that's really the most. Well, important. you know, I a lot of what I do is help organizations figure out what they're doing. Hmm. And I've been kind of just interested in different ways of getting people to share what's inside of them. That's a lot of what facilitation is, especially right. with the group. Uh, David Kinneman and I are both kind of Lego addicts. If you go to the barn offices, you're going to find just about every large scale Lego set there. Do you have Lord and of the Rings? Did you build like Lord of the Rings sets? It's all there. Nice. You name it. Okay. The Eiffel Tower. It's like almost life size. It's there. The Millennium Falcon. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon oh, is there. Oh, look at this. That was, oh, yeah. that, that, I mean, that's one I wanted all like as a, like, as a <laughs> kid. Man, I wanted the, the Falcon. That all was right. like my 
dream. Yeah, that's it's huge. I've, in fact, behind me, I have a lot of my Lego sets as well. David actually builds his. I just am building a toy store. I think, <laughs> but um, I just I, I just got the new Nintendo Lego set just arrived just before I got on here. And my wife was like, "Uh, did somebody buy themselves Legos?" <laughs> <laughs> but Lego Serious Play is yeah. actually a real thing that was created about twenty years ago to help groups do strategic planning, figure out emergent strategies. And the idea is that I work with groups. We use the Legos to build metaphors and then let those metaphors lead to systems. And kind of like Jesus used parables because they, they said more than words themselves. Um, metaphors say more than words themselves. You can communicate more meaning. And so part of what we do is we work with a group. I was just working with a team a couple of weeks ago and we built like the a model of today's child. Mm -hmm. And then we built the model of how their organization helps that child. And then we built a system of everything that affects that relationship positively or negatively. And then we're able to run scenarios around how those things work. There's a lot of different ways that you, there's seven levels of Lego serious play. And, um, I wanted to get certified in it and learn from one of the originators. And that's exactly what I did. Oh, but, wow. uh, it's, I think this is an official episode. Yeah. I was just <laughs> yeah it, was, it, was it was created by Lego, but it actually is, was spun out and you can, you can look it up. They actually have an, uh, creative commons license on the Lego serious pro play process, but, uh, to be really use it in a deeper way, you have to get kind of certified. Very, very cool. Very training. cool. Things. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So here we are talking about uh, just a tool. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of fascinated now. This show's about Legos now. No, uh, I, it's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, I So we're talking about your book, Faith for Exiles, five ways for a new generation. We're talking about finding a generation uh, here in America, looking at, you know, we're looking at our generation, but also younger generations. How do we reach them with the gospel? How do we reach them for Christ? Um and the book's called Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. So let me ask you a starter question here is like, what the heck is digital Babylon? So for people, for people listening today, what, what is digital Babylon? Fill us in. Yeah, well, I think it's important for people to realize that while this book is based on research, it also contains kind of David and my observations of millennials generation z the change of of culture over the last couple decades right and uh, david and i have done several projects together and um and so what we started noticing and david really uh, leaned into this idea of of digital babylon is that there was a shift going on in the world that people weren't easily making sense of right and and we see it manifest itself in nationalism. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's become really prevalent in the United States, but not just the United States. Some people say, well, it's a Donald Trump thing, uh, make America great again, but it's actually happening in countries all over. You have Brexit, you have uh, the uh, Hindu nationalists in India that are trying to uh, preserve the culture of India. And so everybody's kind of moving into this preservation kind of mindset. And, the way that we saw this in the church is that the United States culture tended to be a little bit more like Jerusalem, where faith was at the center. It was kind of monotheistic, it was right. a slower pace, um, you know, life. But there was con consistency, and so as I was being, as you might be raised or growing up, the larger culture is 
kind of supporting or backing up a Judeo-Christian worldview. So discipleship is happening on multiple layers. But as we enter into Babylon, and we call it digital Babylon because it really is the internet that's allowed for this radical diversity to reach every location on the planet, right? It's not mm-hmm. just the United States, and it's not just on the coasts uh, or a major city. It, it can be in rural America. You are now connected to all of this diversity, all of this content and information and people that you were never connected to before. And that means that faith has kind of gotten pushed to the margins. We become pluralistic. Even within Christianity, there's so many different ways to to think about and, and, and express it while still holding the tenets of Christ's teaching. Um, it's accelerated and frenetic. And there's kind of like this, this tension of really cool opportunities and lots of choices. And so David and I realized was the church has been going through a little bit of an identity crisis around this transition that's happening um, in this disruption, but discipleship looks really different in Babylon than it does in Jerusalem. Mm. And we were trying to figure out, you know, D- David had written uh, You Lost Me, which was kind of the pre- prequel to this book mm-hmm. and and Unchristian before that. And I was involved in You Lost Me and doing some framing work on that and some analysis. Um, and that was really looking at the dropout problem, but we wanted to figure out why are they staying? What does faithfulness look like? And are there some levers in Babylon that we could be pulling as the church and as parents that would actually help young people and the next generation stay connected to their faith as this transition continues? Because it's not going to go back, right? Right. Um, that nationalism is kind of like a dinosaur you know, reaching up and taking its last breath of air before going down in the tar pit. <laughs> and, um, that's a good image. and, and that's, that's what's happening right now. It's that kind of desperate, desperate fight. And like I said, it's not just a U.S. thing. It's, it, it, we see it happening globally, but there's another generation that's learned how to be faithful in the midst of it. And that's a generation, uh, that we were kind of interested in understanding. Now, can I, can I see just a really quick follow-up question on that is, now, how has the last eight months dealing with the coronavirus, COVID, really either accelerated that or changed that or morphed that? Uh, how has it made this Babylon that you're saying we're called, we're headed into, just like the people of God were taken into Babylon? How has that? How has that changed? How has COVID changed uh, your research or what you thought, or has it accelerated it? What? That would be a great last question. We only had like two minutes left. Uh, (laughs) So um, I don't think we know how we've been changed yet. Right. I think that we have, I I don't think we, this has been the longest kind of disruptive rhythm to life and it's natural paces that, that anybody alive has ever gone through. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you know, 9-11, all these other things were very short events. This has been a really, you know, long winter, as Andy Crouch kind of wrote a, a metaphorical kind of essay on this uh, at the beginning. And it's a different thing. It's it's a longer period. It requires new, new habits being developed. I, I've actually attended several live events, and I even noticed my biology is different. Um, I don't... I can go to the bathroom whenever I want to in COVID land. It's <laughs> yeah. just a couple steps away. And all yeah. of a sudden now I'm having to sit in a session 
And I don't, and my body doesn't know, like you're on a new rhythm. Now you're going back to an old rhythm. (laughs) So I I realized right there, this, I mean, it's kind of a a silly example, but it's really profound, right? Yeah. That we don't know how we've been affected by this. Mm. Our attention spans. I notice people having less patience for things uh, that go a little longer when they're alive, if they can't multitask, because there's a lot of multitasking going on. So, um, so I don't know if we can really pin it down, but I do know that when it comes to the, to faith mm-hmm. that in some ways this book was prophetic because we didn't know that we were going to come into a pandemic. And I've had a lot of Christian leaders say, man, I wish we'd had this book like two years ago and that we actually believed it mm-hmm. <laughs> because it would have helped us prepare for this COVID experience. Right. We would have had better culture tools processes available to us. So that's some of that, if that makes sense. Um, Mike's got a question for you. Excellent, Mark. Hey, this is Mike. It's uh, great to talk with you. You, In your book, you talk about kind of the the four kinds of exiles that are living, you know, during now and this kind of Babylonian culture. Tell us a little bit about that. What are the four kind of exiles? Yeah. And, and you lost me. We kind of defined disciples, um, as, uh, as prodigals, nomads, and then exiles. We kind of gave those three lanes. We wanted people to understand that people were leaving the church for different reasons in this book. And I would say most of the time that Dave and I spent writing was just trying to figure out these categories because you're looking at all this data Mm -hmm. and you're, you, we've had interviews with some of these people and stuff, and you're trying to figure out what is this telling us? What, what does this really mean? And we really wrestled through defining these four categories. So everybody involved in this research were people who currently or at some time in their life considered themselves to be a Christian. Okay. So people that are completely unchurched, they were not a part of this research project. What is the these age group? People. What's the age range of the people that you that you uh, had the survey? Yeah, eighteen to twenty nine. Okay. Okay. So we were we were so we were looking at their practices currently. We were looking at their church of origin, their family of origin. We are looking at several different kind of just health matrix and profiles, trying to see if we could find any patterns in the five ways or kind of the patterns that we found, but, but to back to those four uh, groups. So we stuck with prodigals because we saw that prodigals, uh, those are people who said, I once considered myself a Christian. I no longer do. Okay. okay. Now that that's 22% of that 18 to 29 year old group that we looked at. Now, what's really profound about this is that when we did You Lost Me, that number was about 10 or 11%. Mm, So in just less than a decade, that number doubled of people who said, these aren't people that just say, I don't go to church anymore. These are people who say, I once identified as a Christian, I no longer do. So that's a really powerful thing. Because some people go, well, they've just gone away from church for a little while and they're going to come back. They'll come back when they have kids. Yeah. Yeah. And you lost me really showed that because adulthood has stretched out and extended that they actually have enough time to develop new rhythms and new values so that when they do start getting married and having family later in their twenties, they've already got a new pattern. They're not snapping back to the old way. Right. That doesn't mean they don't find their way back. And and for prodigals, by the way, we, we, we like that term. Um, in the book, we also call them like ex Christians as a descriptor, but we have a hope that God is still working in those prodigals Mm -hmm. that they may have walked away from a form of Christianity that was 
an institutional failure, but that God still has a hold of their lives. And that when they find themselves sitting in the mud pit, yeah. uh, they'll remember their father and come back. And when they do, they'll bring joy and a celebration back to the church that maybe we've lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I have a lot of hope even for those prodigals, but it's still a, a, a pretty interesting phenomenon that we've doubled that number in just yeah. uh, less than a decade. Then we have the nomads. Those are lapsed Christians. So they still consider themselves to be Christians, but they're not really rooted or connected to a community of believers. Mm. And what's interesting is when we really got into some of the deeper profiling, while really the, you know, the fact that they identify as a Christian and still consider that to be significant to them in some way of an identity their experience of life is very similar to prodigals. So there is, it's just kind of interesting. And one of the things about prodigals that we found when we did, you lost me is that there are kind of two groups. There were groups that were actually hurt or in, injured perhaps by Christianity. And they were, they were actually hostile toward it. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a smaller group though. The larger group had just come to the conclusion that they didn't believe this, but they weren't hostile toward Christianity. Mm. So, in fact, some of them would even tell us, um, you know, I think it's awesome that my parents believe this. I just can't, you know, and they even respect like they some of them waited to tell their parents until they were out of the house because they didn't want them to, you know, fret over, you know, their their spirituality and for that to be a conflict for them. Or an embarrassment to them. So we're kind of living in what I call the age of polite atheism, hmm. <laughs> where yeah. there's people that, you know, it used to be that anytime somebody was an atheist, you always saw them as like a hostile person toward Christianity. They're not really hostile. They just don't, yeah. don't they're not believe militant. They're not militant. They're not militant. Right. Yeah. They're not, they're not, they're not hurt. They're not angry. They don't think you're an idiot for believing what you do. They just, just don't really weird. understand. Just gets weird when they find out you're a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Gets Which is why I always start with, I'm a Lego serious play. <laughs> oh, there you go. People yes. talk to me. The, the real, they the real buy reason. buy me he, drinks. Yeah. And then I go, oh, I'm also an ordained minister. And then all of a sudden it's like, what, 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 what? Oh, I was just kidding about everything I said. <laughs> you totally bait and switched me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, Give us the last two. Yeah. So then we have, but so then we move. So, so the nomads and the prodigals are who David really explored and you lost me, right? Well, Looking that's at the 52%. dropout problem. Yeah. 52%. Wow. Yep. It's 52%. That's high. Um, and that's pretty consistent with almost every other piece of research that's been done out there on this. Some people have it a little higher, some have it lower. Um, but, uh, but it's, it, it all kind of fits within the realm. It's just the way people are asking questions. Um, but now, but what David and I wanted to focus on faith for exiles was this 48%. These are the, uh, people that are still attending church at a pretty good frequency. Okay. So they're, you're going to know them at church because they're coming in with enough. They're not like perfect every week. Nobody really is that anymore. Um, but in, in these younger generations, <laughs> but <laughs> they're there. going pretty frequently to church. Yeah. And so, um, so the habitual churchgoers are those that were going with a good level of frequency. Yet when we ask them some just basic questions about Orthodox Christianity, they, they're, they, they, quite didn't quite hit enough of them for us to say they understand their faith. Okay. Mm. And these are really basic questions about, you know, who Jesus is, 
uh, what he did on the cross, things like that. Um, the nature of the Bible. Yeah, we were having then, a conversation before you came on about how a lot of people's faith is kind of just like their radical individualism, their truth with a little Jesus sprinkled, yep. sprinkled into it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that was kind of when you actually got down to some, just, just base, I mean, this wasn't anything, this is the basic tenets of Orthodox Christianity. They, they didn't hit enough of those for us to kick them into the resilient category. Um, uh, The other thing that was really critical though, is that they did not say that their faith was central to their life. So it wasn't something that was guiding decisions that they made the path of their life. So while it was a part of their identity, it wasn't central to their identity, if that makes sense. Yep. Now, this 10% group, they uh, they answered the Orthodox Christian Christianity questions with a higher degree of certainty and accuracy. They also believe that Christianity is central to their life. And they also believe that, that they are here on the earth to make a difference, right? Like there's something there for them to do. And they have a high degree of confidence in that. Um, and, and that's kind of what separates that 38% from that 10%. Church attendance isn't an example of that. And so there's a couple implications for this. One is, are there things that we're doing to keep young people in church that aren't necessarily contributing to the core of their faith? Um, and, uh, those 38% are they, and this is something our research didn't give us great clarity on. Um, there's always stuff. Once you do it, you kind of wish that you'd, Oh, I wish we thought about asking (laughs) that, but you didn't know until you got the insight. Um, but what we weren't sure about this 38% are these people that grew up in the church? Are they people that have just entered into Christianity? And that's why they don't know some of these things or haven't formed some of the responses that we were looking for to put them in that 10% category. So are they growing, rising, or are they uh, declining? Mm, Our hunch from all the, you know, two decades of research with this generation tells us that they're declining, not necessarily rising. There may be a percentage of them that are rising, but probably a greater percentage that are declining. Mm. And, um, And so uh, what's great about this and the hope and the good news is they are in our church. They are within reach. So while people have been doing backflips, trying to figure out how to stop the hemorrhaging of young people, which is a valid concern, we've got 38% in our churches that probably have their hand in the door. And, but they're coming right now. We have the opportunity. We have a relationship, some basis there to help them grow deeper in their faith and help them become more resilient. Mm. So those are some of the difference in that 10% resilient group. They're kind of like, when you think of the Daniels, the Esters, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones that, um, you know, are, are shaken, but not stirred, you know, right. like the, the world may uh, seem to fall apart, but they're leaning into God. Uh, and they're trusting in him and having a really different experience with him in their life. No, they're kind of the, the remnant, others. right? They're kind of the remnant. Uh, that that's ten- another theological frame to look at this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, some people go because we David and I look at this and go, "There's a lot of hope in this, right?" Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and some people go, "Are you kidding me? Ninety percent, you know, don't meet the basic criteria yeah. for resilient disciples." And I'm like, going, "Yeah, that's true," and that's one you know, negative Nancy way to look at it. Oh, and I wasn't but, being a negative Nancy. I'm just saying like they're right no, now, no, 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 this no, is what they no. are. And but God has always used a remnant right, to accomplish yeah, his purpose. That's what I so meant. And then that's hopeful. But that's let me hopeful. ask you this. Do you ever think that number has been a lot higher? 
Like, that was gonna be my question. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, it's like it's. Good. Do you do you ever think that number's the, ever really been a lot higher than ten percent? Uh, I don't have a way to to verify yeah. that. I'm just my asking to, anecdotally. What part you part of the definition of a resilient disciple, though, is that they grow even stronger as they're practicing their faith, right? Because they're they're you know when you think about resilience and resilience is a buzzy word that people throw out. Um, and uh, but this idea of resilient is what Nassim Talib calls um, being anti-fragile. Mm. And so we always talk about building a strong faith. And, you know, if you think about a pyramid, a pyramid's really strong. It's lasted throughout time, yet it is very fragile. If somebody were to destroy that pyramid, uh, it would not rebuild itself. It would be gone. It would be wiped out. And um, a resilient something, it has the ability to spring back. So think about like Mount St. Helens, uh, where this volcano that explodes in Washington, throwing ash all the way down to Southern California, even, even into Mexico, and uh, literally makes all of these trees look like somebody dropped some toothpicks on the earth. And the ash covering covers the soil, blocking the sun from being able to penetrate. And people said it's going to be hundreds of years before life begins. And yet in like 20 some years, they started seeing evidence of life returning because that was a, that's a resilient ecosystem. It can, Mm -hmm. it can deal with stress, but life, you know, continues. Uh, I think about, you know, um, the, the character in Jurassic park, right? Life finds a way, um, life is resilient. And so life in Christ is resilient. The world can change you know, um, uh, a Democrat can become the president and your faith is not shaken. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I think that's, that's, that's the idea of resilience. So the people that were resilient back then probably maintained their resilience into the future. Right. It may be that people hung on to their habitualness longer Yeah. because yeah. the dropout problem is real. Sure. Yeah. Mark, one thing that kind of, uh, comes up, is a crisis of authority. And I wonder, does that have anything to do with the, what we're seeing in terms of, you know, these, you know, trends? Like, um, can you talk about about that, what it is, and how it might be affecting us, you know, in the church? So basically over the last eight years, maybe a little bit longer, you could probably go back to 2010, You started, we started seeing the early signs of it. But there started to be a rise in what we call the nuns or the atheists mm-hmm. and the agnostics. Right. And that level among U.S. adults uh, has risen to higher than 20 percent. That is a real phenomenon. Right. Mm-hmm. And so prior to that, even if you didn't weren't a real active Christian, you probably thought the Bible had some significance and that God had authorship uh, uh, authority over the world. Uh, in which we live in, but now um, we're, we have a surprisingly large number of the population that doesn't feel that way. And so the general cultural tone has changed. And that's part of this idea of digital Babylon is that screens are discipling. Mm-hmm. And so in the church, we've sat there and thought, well, the internet hasn't really disrupted us too much, except that people are Googling their answers to life's problems before they're seeking mm-hmm. spiritual solutions. Yeah. So, so there, um, you know, I, I had a young man in my small group who, you know, 
basically one day just started arguing with me about whether God existed. And it kind of took me by surprise, to be honest, because here's a guy who's regularly attending church. He's habitual, right? But all of a sudden he's shaking, he's questioning his faith. Because I've been in my church for you know 30 years, I also watched this kid get carried into church in a baby carriage, <laughs> pushed around a stroller. And so I know a little bit about him and I'm thinking he's not smart enough to be having this discussion. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I Googled some words he was saying, Mm-hmm. And sure enough, up popped this website, How to Debate a Theist. Hmm. Now, normally, in working with a, a group of young people, they would have come to me and they would say, hey, Mark, I'm questioning my faith. Right. You know, right. I, I don't know if God is real. And I talk to them about, well, how do you typically experience God? How has that changed? We might we, we talk about the presence of God. It might even be that we need to talk about apologetics. Um, why can we have confidence? Why is it reasonable to believe in God, in Jesus Christ and who he was. Uh, we might have that conversation too, uh, as part of it, depending on where it went, but I would be involved very early in the conversation if I'd provided a safe context. Right. 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 And, uh, but now he doesn't, even though there's a safe context, he doesn't even need that because he's got Google, which is even safer. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, you know, they know they can talk to me about anything they want to, and they do talk to me about embarrassing things yet they're still having their own little journey on the screens before it gets to me. And that made me realize that when it comes to this next generation, we can't just look at their behaviors and go, oh, they're going on mission trips and they're participating in worship and all this stuff. We have to realize that there's an interior conversation going on with their screens that we are no longer privy to unless we ask and we really go a layer deeper in our interaction. And that's kind of what I walked away with, with this young man was, wow, I, I made a lot of assumptions here and, and may have lost him, you know? Um, whereas if I'd, if I'd been asking some deeper questions and going a layer deeper in our experience, maybe I would have seen some things sooner because now I had to, now as we're working together, I'm having to undo months and months and months of interior thinking that he's been doing and Mm -hmm. processing around all of this. And that's a lot harder to do than to be on the journey with him as he's questioning it. Right. Do you think that, do you think that um, some of the problems are the way that Christianity has been um, taught to a generation where it's kind of like um, the faith of the answers. It it gives you the answers uh, to life or, or it, or it's kind of like a, a life-solving book, yeah, problem-solving book, or a life planner, and you know, Jesus is just part of your life, and he has some good answers for you. But like you said, they can just go to Google to get that. Yeah, well, I think you know some of what's happened in the church over the last several years is we've become a, a church of best practices. Some of that was really good. Churches needed to borrow some ideas from business and things right. like that to run better systems. But in the process of doing that, we may have leaned into our own understanding, right? Mm -hmm. And Proverbs told us, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And so we've sometimes right-sized our visions to what we are capable of doing in our own strength. And the Christian life is literally leaning and trusting God every moment, whether you realize it or not. And, um, and leaning into that. And that is the thing about these resilient um, exiles that we saw was that not every day 
But like Esther, like Shat, like Daniel, there is this moment where you have to display epic trust, mm-hmm. moments of epic trust. And I think Esther is a great contrast to Daniel. And it's a great uh, illustration of what you're talking about, how we've taught Christianity, because when we look at Esther, the, the book doesn't even mention God, right? It's, right. it's obvious if you're, you, you come in from a biblical worldview, you see God at work everywhere, and you see the promise that Mordecai is leaning into with Esther is based on God's promise, even though it's not mentioned that way. But what you don't necessarily see is, a, is the same kind of idea of faithfulness as you see in Daniel. Um, where Daniel's kind of challenging authority a little bit and, you know, Hey, I'm not just going to pray. I'm going to pray by a window, you know? And, (laughs) and so sometimes we focus as we're teaching and exegeting those passages on the wrong applications, right? Where we're at war with a culture rather than we're living in it, even though we're not of it. Esther was a little bit more integrated in, in the way that the story's told yet when that moment came, she had what she needed to trust God with her entire life, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. But it was a different kind of trust. It wasn't the challenge to authority that we see in, um, in uh, Daniel. Um, and I don't know that Daniel, as I've looked at Esther, I've started rereading Daniel going, were, were they really challenging authority mm-hmm. or were they just you know, being who God had made them to be, you know, and they're like, we're not bowing down. And it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to prove a point here in front of everybody. Right. You know, Oh, there's a furnace. Great. We got a show. You know, um, (laughs) I don't, I don't think, I don't look great on the gram. Let's look great on Instagram. Oh, I look great on Instagram. It's interesting to say that Mark, I, I preached on uh, Daniel this summer in a series on Shalom. And I think for the first time I actually saw that, you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually are actually in some ways capitulating to the culture in a lot of ways. Like they're actually, they, they, they learn all the things of, the, of Babylon. They, three years, right? Right. Three for three years, years for they're three. instructed in all the you know, wisdom of Babylon. They don't, they don't buck the trend there. They don't, you know, say, no, we're not going to do that. They, you know, but they are leaning heavily into the fact of, you know, we, we are not worshiping another God, you know, and I think that's part of what, they deny the you know the access to the to the food because the food was always given to idols before it was given to the the kings and so they're they're drawing the line of not what they like not what they do but who they're bowing the knee to right yeah, and it's a messy yes. thing because we like frameworks right? <laughs> right I mean we like our faith with a political party with an economic bracket we like to create that box right it gives us comfort to be in that and they were. Like you said, educated in Babylonian culture, yeah. yet still faithful to God. Right. In a moment, when we're in those moments, they're not fun. They suck. Right. Like those are hard moments when we're faithful in a very difficult challenge. You know, with hindsight, we look at what God did through that mm-hmm. moment. But those are challenging moments to live in for sure. Well, and let me tell you, so my, my children are uh, almost 22. Um, she just reminded me at lunch before I jumped on here that uh, – her birthday's coming and um, <laughs> I get to work on like that. 18 days. Uh, and then oh, my, um, you run out of time. <laughs> Thank God for Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my, my son is uh, 23 going on 24 in the spring. And 
Um, I, I really, and I, you know, time will only tell whether I made the right choices, <laughs> Right. but I wanted them to live their faith out in this way. I was, I grew up in more of a sheltered context. Mm -hmm. So like I wasn't allowed to eat lucky charms because there is no such thing as luck. Um, wow. you know, only God's providence and, uh, and the charms looked occultic and we might mm -hmm. open up a portal to hell at our, our, our dining room table. Don't say the word, holy cow. Don't say holy cow. There's only one thing that's holy. <laughs> that's, right. that's right, man. Uh, I'm glad, glad to know you've been brought up. Well, um, <laughs> no, actually I, that, yeah, I said that when I spoke one time at a Christian school and they, the lady freaked out on me. Anyway, I think this ahead. is how you play with Legos yeah. as an adult yep. with yeah. childhood like this. Yeah. <laughs> we ate, we ate mana flakes. Mana flakes. Oh, yeah. They had little quail marshmallows, and you had to eat the box before the sun went down or <laughs> they rotted. You are Hades evangelical. He culture. definitely <laughs> knows Bye Bye Babylon by Whiteheart. We've been yes. talking about this song ever since. Do you know that song? Bye Bye Babylon? Magically religious. Magically religious. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know that song, actually. Ooh, I know yeah. Whiteheart, but I, I don't yeah. know. It's better know Whiteheart. It's going to be in the podcast. Definitely an intro. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I so, so Mark, out. so Mark, um, I really, <laughs> oh, oh, but, oh, but, but back to that. Yeah. One of the things that I found raising my kids, they, and to this day, they still struggle finding their place in church, hmm. even though they had relationships there and they mm -hmm. participate in small groups, their faith has, you know, it, it, because, and part of it has been the fact that I tried to teach them the language of the culture, the lingua franca of the culture. I tried to, educate them mm -hmm. because I didn't. And that actually hindered my ability as I was growing up in being able to relate to people. And I would say my kids feel much more comfortable around people that don't have faith than they do people who um, are pretty committed in their faith. And, um, you know, like I said, time will tell what my children do in their own spiritual journeys. But there's part of me that has great hope in that, but I've also seen firsthand the challenges of trying to raise people to live and to follow Jesus in Babylon without becoming a separatist. Right. Um, and, and that is the, the challenge is I don't, I'm not trying to protect my kids from the world. I'm trying to show them how to reveal the glory of God in the world, how to live on earth as it is in heaven through whatever it is that they're doing. And, um, and so a lot of, interestingly enough, is we start looking at the data and Dave and I start building the themes that we were seeing. I was going, man, a lot of this is stuff that I tried to ground and, and, and instill in my kids. Um, and, um, and it is really hard because the church, uh, enjoys in some ways in the United States martyrdom, right? We, we like believing that, uh, we're being persecuted. And I'm like, hey, I'll talk to some friends from other countries. They'll tell you what persecution for Christ looks like. Right. It's not what's happening in the United States. We're persecuted more because we're idiots uh, <laughs> than we are because, wow, they're, they're just loving too well. You know, they're, they're just spreading good news everywhere and we can't have that. Um, so there really, there really is a difference. And I think that the church really has to figure this out because one of the things that Dave and I found, not just in this research, but we did a larger research project, Barna did, and I got to dabble in it because it, it used some of the Faith for Exiles profiles. Um, but we did a study for World Vision on global Christian millennials called the Connected Generation. We found that that 
generation globally has more in common with each other internationally than they do uh, with the, the, the generations above them hmm. in their own culture. So there's kind of this interesting, when you talk about remnant, it's almost like, well, what's going on? Because there's like a, a, a connectivity happening here, um, you know, am, among this group. But one of the things that's really important, I think this flies in the face of kind of how we've been teaching Christianity a lot of ways, is this generation doesn't just want to see that Christianity is true. They're probably concerned less about that. Hmm. They're, they're more concerned in seeing that it is good that it actually Makes has power mm -hmm. to change yeah. lives. Yeah, that's right? a, yeah. And I don't know if we're demonstrating that. I don't know if people look at churches and go, Oh yeah, we're, you know, those are good news people, you know, Mark, I, you know, it's, it's fascinating. This whole concept with, with Babylon and thinking about Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and kind of this exile mentality. And, you know, as as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking, you know, what were the things that formed Daniel and his friends? Like the for, you know, formation is so important in that, and that you're saying that a lot of our churches <laughs> aren't doing that, right? They're not providing this formation that that brings this kind of um, foundation that that we need, and you know, I mean. Obviously, we don't live in Old Testament <laughs> Israel, um, but you think about some of the things that formed them, you know, growing up in in Judah and in, in, in and around Jerusalem, um, you know, the, the feasts uh, that they would have attended, the worship in the temple, those types of things. What are we missing as the church that's not providing that kind of formation um, for our, gen for the rising generations? Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple of things. One is we are interested in 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 truth and being right more than we are about trusting in the grace of God mm. for our lives. Mm. So if, I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but but people will talk about grace as a theological concept, right? Which I guess it is. Yep. But more importantly, grace is a relational word that explains my relationship mm -hmm. to another person. Mm -hmm. And um, and and grace is experienced. It's it's kind of like you can read a book about riding a bike, but that's not probably going to help you ride a bike. Yeah. And the same thing is true. I can understand what grace is conceptually, but until I've trusted in God and experienced grace, mm -hmm. I probably don't really understand grace. Yeah. In fact, I would say that in my, the last decade of my life, I've come to understand grace more than I ever have in my life. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the, the challenges that we have in our faith. And it's, it's kind of, it, it goes back to that Proverbs passage of how do we show people how to really trust and lean into God Mm -hmm. And in doing so, that's what shows people these people are different. That's what set the nation of Israel apart, is that they were trusting in something entirely different. And so when, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in front of Nebuchadnezzar, what do they say? You know, the God we, you know, the God we serve is able to save us from your hand. Right. That revealed an epic amount of trust in God. Right. Mm -hmm. But then they go on to say, but even if he does not. Right. Right. right? 
So that means I trust God so much that even if he didn't save me from the furnace, that that was still like, he is still the person to trust in. Right. That is unbelievable to me, that amount of trust. Right. Because if, if, you know, we read the story and we, we don't, we're not experiencing it in real time. Like they were, they didn't know what was going to happen, you know, and most people come to the scripture and it's, you know, it, you know, it's going to end with a happy ending or whatever. And so you read that and you go, well, that's a really cool thing to say, but they literally meant it. Right. Right. Like God can save us from that furnace. Right. But even if he doesn't, right. yeah. we're still not doing what you ask because that's how much we believe and trust in God. That, that he's got a greater purpose than all. When, when Abraham was getting ready to you know, plunge that knife into Isaac and God provides the ram, right? In Hebrews, it says, that Abraham trusted God so much, he believed that he was going to kill his son and that his son would be right. risen from the dead right, right. to fulfill the promise, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's incredible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible trust yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when you when you think about it. And tell my um, kids that. Hey, guys, <laughs> you trust yeah. God? Come here. Tell my yeah, boys. Yeah, sorry I pushed you down the stairs. I really yeah. thought God was going to float you down there to the bottom, but it didn't happen. Hey, boys, I was looking here. for the ram. The, the eagle to fly and carry you off, uh, but well, uh, yeah, it, it, but I think that's I think that's what's missing right now, and and also the orientation toward good news. Mm-hmm. The gospel is good news, yeah. and for so many people, I don't know that Christians bring good news. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we are living in that practice. Um, yes, Jesus was intense. He was. Um, a man of sorrows, but he also brought good news. Right. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes we come with such a hammer and we've been taught to do that. And we've engaged in a culture war rather than living and being the embodied, you know, person of Christ Amen. in our communities. I think that's what the kids need to see. Amen. That's well, Hey, that's a great place to, to wrap up that portion. Mark, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. Um, we want to play a game with you. You ready to play a game? Let's play a game. Okay, you're a former youth, you know, you, you're a youth worker, so you get this. You've been around teenagers your whole life, basically, right? Um, so we're going to play a little game of Would You Rather, but this is Would You Rather the Youth Ministry Edition, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so you have to pick which one of these things you would rather do, okay? <laughs> which, okay. which one you would rather do, okay? I'm going to start, and then we're going to go around the horn. Uh, and uh, so here we go. Cue the music. In post-production and here we go number one mark would you rather do a middle school overnighter or spend a night in prison <laughs> i didn't know these were going to be hard yeah. <laughs> i'm talking a real prison too I'm talking real prison real prison okay yeah. all middle right middle school overnighter right. or not real just prison? Ten- not just like a detention uh, middle but... school or overnighter oh you're going yes. with the middle school overnighter i would yeah, probably yeah, that's man. a wise I, I like pizza and warm root beer so. yeah oh yeah pizza and warm root Kids, beer Kids, we're gonna have pizza <laughs> of course all right number two would you rather take a pie in the face or road trip in a van with middle schoolers who don't use deodorant? That's a pretty easy one for me. Take a pie in the face or a van full of 
Stinky, smelly, smelly. Stinkies. Smells like goats. I'm taking the pie in the face. Yes, oh! absolutely. Not even a question. <laughs> pie in the that face. Odor is... You at least get to lick the pie right. off your face. Yeah. yeah. And you can wash it off when you're done. You can wash it off. Sometimes, like, That's... I could just, when you even brought it up, I could smell it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, like, I'm not sure the, the right stinky there. middle schooler washes I'm, off. I'm, I'm pretty mean... sure I had to throw away some clothes from some of those trips because they just could not get that stench off. <laughs> I remember sometimes I remember, I... I remember coming home from a week of camp. And this this uh, mom came to me and goes, Did you not require the kids to change their clothes? And I go, What are you talking about? Go, My son's clothes were just packed the way that I like, brought home. Uh, That's perfect. That's what camp is for. All right, number three Would you rather plan a youth fundraiser or plan a youth Sunday with the choir? Youth choir. <laughs> oh, man. Does the choir wear robes? <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I go with the choir. I go, oh, nice. Oh. He's doing it. <laughs> All right, number I might ask them for money while we're doing yes. it, too. Yes. Make, what, it we fun fun raise. Make it a fundraiser. Love offering. Yes, right. Those are called love, love offerings. <laughs> <laughs> number four, would you rather preach to middle schoolers, high schoolers, or young adults? That's a t- that is a tough one. Middle I actually, I'm actually going to go with middle schoolers. Yeah. Ooh, now, see, yeah, we've been yeah. picking on the Miller schoolers, but they might well, be stinky, but they're good to, pre- right. to preach to. I, yeah. You know what? What's great about a middle schooler is they still look up to people and right. they are still making lots of big choices. High schoolers are, you know, you, you got to win them over too much. Yeah. And, uh, and, and young adults are fun, but, you know, but I, I, I like middle schoolers are, are always, All I get right. energized. Awesome. By All right. There you go. All right, John. I'm not sure what Mark wrote this. So I'm not sure what this means, but play dodgeball or kill the man with the ball. That doesn't sound you politically. You ever played kill the man with the ball? That sounds like just like the person who gets the ball. Correct. The person who gets the ball, you just you just tackle oh, that yeah, person okay. with the ball. Right. Or would you rather it's play? Also, it's, it's it's also usually how every dodgeball yeah. game yeah. Yeah. Right. Worker is kill right. the man with the ball. Which one would you rather play, dodgeball or kill the man with the ball? Oh, de- definitely dodgeball. Yep. Yeah. I know as a former youth pastor, you liked both of those because you finally got to wail on kids <laughs> that you've been, yeah. waiting, you've been yeah. waiting to hit forever. Like, you you talk every time I <laughs> preach. Now you have the ball, you're getting it. Oh, <laughs> it's very, very cathartic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that All was right. a great moment. I think that's how I stayed 30 years in youth ministry. There you go. All right, Mike. <laughs> all right, Mark. I don't know if you ever lost a kid on a trip at all, but would you rather lose one in New York City or Mexico? <laughs> Where in Mexico? <laughs> Juarez. Juarez. I, I would I would rather lose a kid in New York City. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, would you rather number seven, would you rather work with a nineties teenager or today's teenagers? Wow. Ooh, here's a tough one. Man, oh, cell phone cameras, a, man. They, is like a, they record everything. Nineties teenager or a today teenager? Uh, I mean, I would I would say a '90s teenager. Yeah, actually. weren't the '90s yeah. the golden were, age of youth ministry? That was the golden age. Yeah, it really was. You know, I was down. I was actually down in 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 uh, doing some stuff with Lucas Lays, who runs Especialidades Seiscente Cinco, which is the uh, the Spanish version yeah. of youth specialties. Oh, youth specialties yeah. And um, I think I said that right. And um, the. Uh, uh, when I was down there, it m- reminded me of like youth ministry in the the late '80s, early '90s. Nice. The energy, nice. yeah, it was, it was it was really really kind of nostalgic. 
And I, I asked I asked this guy from Spain, a youth worker from Spain, I go, why exactly are we here? He goes, we are from the future to warn them <laughs> of what, what could come. <laughs> All right, John. All right, number eight. Number eight. Sing Big House by Audio Adrenaline or I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. Ooh. Oh, so this is a really tough question because I... Mercy yeah, Me started in my garage. They, they got they lit. They worked out of my garage for years and wrote Imagine That's in the cool. garage. Oh wow! Oh nice. Cool. Uh, not in the garage, but while we were working in the garage together. Nice. Um, How comes you weren't? And, uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't yeah, see you. My first movie? my first published book was with Audio Adrenaline. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. Oh, this is wow. Gonna, this you're is you're going to make some enemies. That's right. <laughs> or frenemies. <laughs> frenemies. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I can only imagine. I I never uh, get tired of that song. Nice. Uh, nice. All right, number nine. Number nine. You know, the end of a retreat or the end of a mission trip is a special time. Would you rather do a closing campfire at a retreat or the last day of a mission trip, or known as the the debrief, the send off? We always call them debriefs. <laughs> Okay, what was the first closing one? Closing campfire, campfire to retreat. retreat. Campfire. Oh, closing campfire to retreat, hands down. Oh, Ooh, why? Nice. Why is that? Uh, because it's always like people are sharing like all the aspirations, the things that they're not going to do when they leave, but it feels good <laughs> for that moment. <laughs> It does feel really good. Yeah. All right, last one. You get to sing Friends or Friends Forever. Oh, uh, life has been changed. <laughs> All right, number 10. I'm going to wake up and read the Bible every day. <laughs> Kid, I don't give you till Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> number 10. Would you rather do Bible study with middle school boys or get the coronavirus? Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Notice I said middle school boys. <laughs> Why are these so hard? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Man, I'm like sitting there going, I, you know, ah, wow, those are like really equally <laughs> weighted. Do I die from the coronavirus? No, no, no you will not die. Oh, that changes it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you'll be immune then for the rest. No, of I would time. definitely go for the Bible study. I love middle I love school boys. Doing, middle school boys, even remember. middle school boys. Okay, even yeah, they are boys. awesome. We picked on them. They are. They are. Yeah. They are. They're we fun. They're fun. They're fun to make fun of because they're they're so awkward. Hey, before you go, uh, where can people find your stuff online? Um, are you on the Barna site? You have your own site. Where can they find your stuff? Yeah, I'm I'm not really good at, at online keeping stuff up to date there. I'm kind of a, a one-man operation, except for the work that I do with Barna. So I would direct you to, to, to Barna.com. Barna Access is a really great resource that we've uh, launched this last year. Um, and, uh, and I actually have helped curate the next gen channel there. And uh, we do some like things like Barna Labs and some presentations, things like that. And so if you subscribe to Barna Access, there's some, some really great tools there for people that are trying to figure all this out. And, uh, uh, but you, you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, some version of Mark Matlock. Um, <laughs> some and, some uh, Mark Matlock. <laughs> somebody. Somebody yeah. named Mark Matlock. We'll I, I, I write the most on Facebook, actually, and not yes. I don't and not like a fan page type of thing, just my personal Facebook profile. I know. I am so Gen X. Yeah, I've watched <laughs> I've watched you get on a lot of fights on, on Facebook with people. Or <laughs> them they get in fight with you. They just like yeah. write you nasty stuff. Yeah, I kick the cornet's nest a little bit there. Yeah, but, every uh, once in a while. Well, hey yeah. man, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. It was so good to reconnect with you too. We gotta, we gotta connect sometime soon. And and uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. 
Really enjoyed having you. Pleasure. And uh, we will be back here in a moment on Post Christian Pastors. Don't go anywhere. episodes mark was awesome uh man, not because lot. his name is mark yeah right? it had well, nothing to do with it i mean well <laughs> everybody that comes on here named mark is <laughs> should be lifted marks up yeah you smart mark He's mark with a k too because the real ones have a k uh, at the end of their name so i just ticked off a bunch of people anyway <laughs> so um what do you guys think what what stuck out to you uh mike yeah, it was great stuff. It was a little frightful just to see, you know, when he went through those kind of four types of exiles, how many people have actively, you know, actively disengaged. Mm-hmm. The coronavirus has affected that, too. Yeah, and like the habitual just kind of churchgoers. Like, I think we feel that <laughs> yep. in the church right now. Um, the people that, you know, that are either A, coming to church or staying engaged online feels like a much know, lower, resilient, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, disciple. That's that's our core. and. Yep. Uh, so it is kind of crazy, um, and um, just some great thoughts around that. Yeah. John? No, I I, I thought uh, Mark was great. I thought just some of his, you know, uh, thoughts about, like, how to, how to see ourselves in kind of a Daniel or Esther kind yeah. of uh, yeah. way is really helpful. And I think, you know, as Christians, we probably need to lean into that more. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, and work from there. It's a great thought on that, that, you know, for much of our lives, being a Christian has felt good. Mm-hmm. And we actually have taught a lot of that. Yep. Um, it might not feel good. Right. And for Esther and Daniel, following God yeah. didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's a good reminder. In this time, it might require us not to feel good sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of something I heard Matt Chandler say once. He was talking about John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, John the Baptist has this huge following. He's a rock star. Uh, Jesus come along. He obviously points to the Lamb of God, says, you all need to go this way. And John's life from that point on, I mean, in our eyes, worldly eyes, went downhill. Mm -hmm. He ends up in prison. He ends up dead because of a stripper. I mean, literally, he (laughs) loses loses his head because of that. And and so his life doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it, your best life now, you know, yeah, or he's not, not you know, and, yeah. but, and Matt Chandler asked in the sermon, he said, um, he said, what if it doesn't get any better than it is right now? Yeah. Like following Jesus. What if it gets no better than it is right now or worse mm-hmm. in our eyes? Are you willing to follow? Right. Like John the Baptist, he, he struggled. Right. I mean, he did question, didn't he? Yeah. But he was also willing to follow when things got really tough and they didn't get better yeah. in, in this world. They right. didn't get better. And, and I think the church has to begin to prepare to live um, and function and thrive in Babylon. Yeah. And first of all, just come to the realization that that's where you're at. Yeah. You know, admit it, embrace it. Like God calls. Yeah. The, uh, Wasn't Israel that such a good reminder it. though? It was like when he's talking about Shadrach and Shadrach, Meshach, I'm going to go in front of the fire, like yep. in front of Nebuchadnezzar, our God, can save yeah. us, but even, well, if, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> even if he doesn't, yeah, even if he doesn't, like you know, and that's just I think just a great reminder for us yeah. is like you know we tend to want to be like you know this is what God is going to do and He's oh, going to yeah. do it you know and with certainty with, all right, the time right 
and right. it drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Right. It's always like, well, God's going to do this. That's God's right. going to do right. this. And there's always going to be favor. There's always going to be right. blessing. There's always going to be, right. well, what if it doesn't look the way that you, mm-hmm. the American Absolutely. packaging of that? Yep. Because that doesn't really translate well to the last 2,000 years right. for a lot of people. Right. So Absolutely. good stuff. Yep. Good Great stuff. Well, hey, we Great being with you guys. Live in Babylon. As always. Good to be with you. Hey, you can find this podcast and share it with others. Everywhere you find podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and and the teen-friendly, next-generation-friendly Spotify. And subscribe. And subscribe. Yeah, yeah please. Share That'd with your awesome. friends. Subscribe to it. Share it with your friends. Thanks for being with us. This is Post-Christian Pastors. I'm Pastor Mark Helsel, and this is John and Mike. And See ya. We're out. Later. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Post-Christian Pastors. We're a bunch of Christians that pastors that used to be. (laughs) (laughs) We're a bunch of Christians. All right. Three, (laughs) three, two, one.